Hey everyone, it's Noah Barnett, the VP of Marketing here at Feather. And today in the studio, well, it's just me. Today you're in for a treat. We are sharing nine practical insights that you can use to shape your 2023 marketing strategy. This conversation was actually part of our flight school sessions that happened on January 18th, where we highlighted this in a webinar environment. So if you feel a little or I'm engaging with the audience, that's what it's from. But we're so excited and this is such an important topic that we wanted to share the insights with you, listeners of the Nonprofit Unplugged podcast. So let's get into it. Hello, everyone. My name is Noah Barnett. I'm the VP of Marketing here at Feather. And I want to welcome you to this session of Light School. Again, VP of Marketing here at Feather, but I'm also a husband uh, to three boys. These are my boys here. I'm also a curious builder, conversationalist, love the outdoors, podcasts and adventures, and a passion for social impact and nonprofits. I've been in and around the nonprofit space and kind of the social impact space for the better part of my entire career starting in international relief and development, which kind of drives me to be here today. I love the opportunity to lead marketing here at Feather because we are committed to helping uh, people doing marketing within nonprofits, associations, credit unions, other organizations that are driving collaboration. We want to help them grow. And so marketing to marketers is something in social impact is something I've always dreamed of. And I'm thankful to do that in part with our uh, 120, 130 plus people here at Feather. Our entire team are passionate about the work we do, but also passionate about digital marketing and helping democratize that for social impact organizations. We help a variety of organizations. So a lot of these trends and observations I'm sharing are not just my opinion or my observation as Noah, but rather things we are seeing within our clients. One thing that's really interesting here at Feather is we're not just software. We also have, we come alongside you as a partner and through that get to observe what's working and what's not working and pull those insights out so we can share those with you all. And so a lot of these trends and observations are not only coming from industry, observations, but also the internal work that our services team, uh, shout out to them. They do incredible work uh, to partner with the organizations that use Feather as they try to really build purposeful connections in our digital environment. You know, competition is abundant right now and attention is the most valuable currency. So really navigating that is difficult and that's going to continue in 2023. And a lot of that is embedded in the other observations that we'll share with you here today. So we're going to be talking about nine practical predictions to use in your 2023 strategy planning. So how you think about doing marketing this year, we think these nine practical predictions um, should infuse in how you think about and how you plan well for that. This kind of comes on the back of something that we observed overall in 2022. So I want to start here and then we'll get into the nine is that a lot of organizations, and maybe you feel like this, are like unsure or uncertain. There's a lack of confidence or clarity in the market of like, what should we do? Where is our audience hanging out? How should we connect with them? Okay, they're migrating off Facebook and social, but our emails aren't really working that much. Competition for ad spend is increasing. There's just a lot of dynamics right now, uh, not only out in the market, but internally. You know, There's turnover, there's return to work, there's get away from work, there's hybrid, there's Issues like mental health and uh, important topics like diversity, equity, and inclusion that organizations are trying to navigate. And your supporters are no different. 
And so I think the thing I wanted to frame up is that like, you, we feel like this, I feel like this, I know my team feels like this sometimes that we're just like unsure what to do. And I know you feel this way, but it's also our supporters. Our supporters are operating in the same environment that we are. And as we go through and begin to do marketing in 2023, I just encourage us to stop and have empathy. Like marketers are in the people to people business. Like we know you are individuals sitting somewhere uh, maybe you have kids running around. Maybe you have other workers that you're trying to like listen over top of because you're back at the office. Uh, maybe you're out for a walk and listening to this on an, uh, on a phone. Uh, wherever you are, we know that you're in an environment and you're trying to navigate this. And so are our supporters. Or so are your supporters, your members, your volunteers. And so I think embedding a lot of compassion and energy, especially in 2023, into how we think about marketing, especially our messaging, is going to be essential. So let's get into the tactics. Uh, one observation we had last year was most nonprofit marketing strategies actually rely mostly on magic and not marketing. And what we mean by this is that the typical playbook that maybe you're familiar with, or I suspect you're not because you're actually here today trying to learn and to get better, but you've probably observed this either in previous roles or in colleagues, is that the typical marketing playbook is that we either do nothing, meaning we just allow our mission or our association's purpose or the work that we do in the community to be our marketing. And so we just don't do anything. The other option is we do everything, everything from telethon to TikToks uh, to billboards. We're all over the place and we're just doing random things as much as possible. So we're really focusing on the ing of marketing and not necessarily the market because we're not incorporating what the market is or who our audience is into the ings that we are doing. And so we're caught up in those ings. The third thing that's a typical playbook is that organizations do random things. So maybe the board members select or uh, suggest a golf tournament, or you heard some person, maybe like me, suggest that you should run TikTok ads. And so you run TikTok ads, or you saw a colleague that did digital advertising uh, sponsorships for their, uh, for their sponsors at an event, and you just want to go try that. And so it's not cohesive and it's not everything, but it's just kind of random. Like it's ad hoc, it's, it's detached. They're bucketed into campaigns like, hey, we're doing this and then we're going to do this over here and there's no consistency. In 2023, I think it's important, and this is kind of the first appeal and we'll get into, then we'll get into the nine predictions, is that this is more like unreliable magic where a growth playbook and what we see in the organizations we work with, because we have organizations we work with that run the typical playbook. We are trying to encourage them not to and give them the tools and tactics to have more of a growth playbook mindset. But the difference is very clear, is that growth playbooks are practical. They start with the audience. They start with understanding their audience and saying, what's real? What do we know about our audience? What are our different audiences? Uh, what's the context and the intent that that audience has, their relationship with us? It's very practical in thinking. It's, it's less about starting with channels and first starting with your audience. The other thing, it's responsive. And so it's typically a learning model. And so the growth playbook doesn't say, hey, here's the strategy or here's the silver bullet that we're going to run with, but rather says, here's our audience. Here's how we're going to cultivate them, both through content and channels, and we're going to activate them to do something. And then we learn from that and we see it again. So it's very responsive to the audience. It's a two-way. It's, it's not, uh, I won't get into that yet because that's one of the predictions, um, but it's responsive in nature. It's, it's a two-way relational transactional partnership between you and your marketing uh, and the market and the audience. And last but not least, it's measurable. 
so that everything you're doing, you can relate back and say, hey, we invested this level of resources in cultivating this audience and the results were this or the learnings were this. And so measurable isn't always in dollar signs or upticks on a spreadsheet, but it also can be in learnings. And I think that's another reason the growth playbook is really purposeful is because it's a learning framework. And so as we go through these, we're, we're assuming that you all want to have a growth playbook and a growth mindset. And so the growth mindset, the growth playbook combined with some of these observations are going to help you unlock more results in 2023. And we're sure of that. So trend number one, um, I kind of alluded to this in the intro, is that personalization isn't enough. So if one of your organization's priorities this year is personalization, I would, I would push back and encourage you to change it from personalization to being responsive. And let me kind of explain what that means. Personalization has been this pursuit that we've been on for a really, really long time in marketing. As soon as we got access to data and could run programmatic types campaigns or do customization in emails and now even in offline uh, appeals, direct mail, um, event sponsorships, et cetera, we've been leading into this personalization, which says, hey, we're going to take what we know about this audience and we're going to personalize our ings, our marketings to them. And that's step one. The thing that's different between personalization and responsiveness is that personalization isn't just about you using the data you know to then do marketing, but rather responsiveness is about understanding the audience, making predictions about how you are going to respond, how are you going to engage. It's not just the type of content, but it's the timing of the content, the timing of the, the ask or the next step that you're encouraging them to do. But then it doesn't end there. It's actually circular. Because when your audience interacts with that, you're getting back more information. Maybe they didn't respond. Okay, well, how are we going to respond to that? So responsiveness takes personalization to the next level. Um, my kids are all into like Pokemon and all of that. So if you think about it, if you're familiar with that, responsiveness is like the evolution of personalization. And I think if you're just trying to still pursue personalization, you've already missed the boat. And I would hightail high it to um, maybe use a rare candy or something, if you know what that is. To, to skip level and actually up level to responsiveness. And I'll kind of talk through more of what this looks like. So one thing about responsiveness is that you want to understand not only the uh, context that the or, or the audience has with you as you're planning your marketing, but also what their intent is. Like where are they at in the process, and how to use both content, context, and intent to cultivate. And cultivate includes campaigns you run, and campaigns include content and channels. Now I'm using a lot of words here, but really it's just about this understanding of your audience. What's the context of the relationship? Have they been engaged with you a while? Are they net new? Are they unknown? What is the intent? So are they engaged with you and they're trying to look for a course that's part of their membership? And so there's more of this in cultivation of that relationship. Or is it that they're just aware they're just finding out? Like what's the context in the intent? Intent can both be timing and interest-based meaning I'm intending to learn more about membership. So then advertising to me about maybe your event isn't actually as relevant to me because my intent was shown through this. And my context is I'm unaware of you. And so retaining that relationship to the content and the intent and how we cultivate that audience is more responsiveness than personalization. And we can also then learn from that. So some example audiences that would be highlighted and how you would, you would think about being responsive versus just personalizing is active supporters, members, website visitors, both known and unknown, even unknown visitors to your website, which is probably 
somewhere between 60 to 80%, maybe even 90% of your website traffic are unknown to you. So there's people roaming around your, your virtual store uh, and you have no idea who they are, but it's still an audience and it still has an identity and you can still understand it. So if you have an unknown audience visiting your website, you can still visualize that and then respond to that, whether using retargeting ads or digital advertising. But the unknownness of it is still context and intent that you have versus someone that might be on your website that's known and how you cultivate them, channels or campaigns, channels and content would be different than how you might with your membership base that you knew was on your website, et cetera. Uh, you have event attendees, you have target beneficiaries, uh, you have volunteers, patrons, visitors, lap supporters, and participants. This is going to vary depending on the context uh, or the, the activations you have with your, with your audiences. So if you're a traditional charity that's raising money, you might be trying to activate volunteers or donors. Whereas if you're more of an association type organization, you're trying to activate memberships or signups or event tickets. But each of those connection points can be used to segment your audience. And knowing what the relationship is with each audience is really important to how you craft these campaigns. So that's um, trend number one that you need to focus on is personalization isn't enough. You now must be responsive. The second trend that is a must for um, purposeful organizations is that multi-channel campaigns improve results and drive ROI. So if you've been doing marketing a long time or direct response fundraising or even association marketing, there is a tendency historically to organize marketings, the INGs, into channels. So we are doing this on Facebook or we are doing this through direct mail or we are doing this through email. And so we had a channel first strategy versus an audience first strategy. And what I, we're continuing to see, and this is a trend that I've been watching really closely, I actually contributed to a multi-channel uh, report that we did in partnership with Next After a few years ago, where we dug into the different dynamics here. Uh, we can share that after the fact in the notes. Um, but multi-channel has been something that organizations that are adopting a audience first and then multi-channel approach versus a channel first approach and then down into audiences are seeing higher results in driving increased ROI. So what does this look like? I've alluded to this a few times. And if you attended our last flight school session back in December, you'll be familiar with this framework that I'm sharing. But we're seeing more and more organizations adopt this to organize their multi-channel campaigns because at its heart, it's organized first and foremost around audiences within your community and then dives into channels, which en enables you to have a multi-channel approach. So the nonprofit marketing framework, if you want a deep dive hour-long presentation, We'll share the link um, in the chat, but we'll also share it in the notes that you can follow up on, is just this. You identify your audience, you then cultivate that audience by designing campaigns that diversify the channels we use and the content we use based on the audience that we have, but that enables us to have a multi-channel approach. So we might not just look at, we are engaging the unknown audience of uh, or sorry, let's say we have a membership base and we're saying, hey, we want to increase the cultivation of the relationship we have with our current members. We can now say, okay, what's the context and the intent that we have knowledge of within that membership base? And then what is the content and channels we can use to cultivate that to a specific outcome, which might be to renew their membership, to sign up for an event, to attend your monthly webinar, which you know if they attend your monthly webinar, they're more likely to be retained in the future, for example. And so instead of measuring success based on channel, like how well did we use email to accomplish that outcome, 
you can now look at it as email plus advertising plus social, maybe even direct mail or offline engagement like phone calls or other types of things as a collective set of activities that you are doing to cultivate that community audience within your community to a specific outcome, which might be renewing their membership, signing up for an event, attending. But that applies for all of your different audiences. So if you start with audience first, you then design how you're going to cultivate them. So these are campaigns that have diversified content and channel mixes. And you're clearly identifying what you're trying to activate them to do. And then as you run this campaign, you are going to then learn from that. And that's going to inform how you run your next campaign for that audience. So audience first versus channel first thinking is a must in 2023. The third trend will I'll just kind of speak to, I don't have any supporting slides, but I think it's really important. And it's even something we're prioritizing to be transparent here at Feather is that as we move into 2023, there's a lot of uncertainty in the economy. We don't know, you know what's going to be a priority. Uh, we're hearing from our clients, and I know from my industry peers, they're hearing this as well, is that organizations are do, being asked, especially those that are working on marketing, to do more or the same with less. And that's the case even for us. Like we've, We are being more conservative in how we deploy resources or what we invest in with the intention to seek out relevancy and quality versus quantity and reach. And so we might not run more experimental um, campaigns where we're running a bunch of things because we're trying to do the same, or in our case, we want to do more higher quality things with the same amount of resources. I imagine you, many of you are in the same boat where you either got budget cuts or you got the same budgets, but the goals increased. And so what we're seeing a lot of organizations do to respond to that is they are starting with the highest yield ROI segments of their communities to focus on. And as we all know, it's easier or cheaper or more effective to retain a current donor or retain a current volunteer or retain a current program participant or retain a current member than it is to acquire a new one. And so turning your priorities and overemphasizing on that retention first strategies is where we're seeing a lot of organizations turn. And I think that is going to be a trend we continue to see through 2023. I know it's a priority for us. Our entire company has a goal no matter what team you're on, about retaining and increasing the quality that we are delivering to our current customers at Feather. Whether you're in sales to try to generate new business or you're in marketing or you're in customer support or product, everyone in the company is focused on engaging and increasing the customer success of our current customer bases as well as acquiring new. But the first and foremost priority for the entire company is retention. And I would encourage you to do that as well. We had a session, um, I believe it was the flight school from November. Rachel, maybe you can pull that one up as well. Is we talk through uh, marketing planning frameworks. So as you think about build using a framework to build your marketing plan for 2023, we talked about this idea of identifying priority buckets. What I'm saying with this trend is that the priority bucket targeted towards the audience that is your currently engaged audience. Again, that could be donors, volunteers, program participants, members, depending on the context of your organization. Prioritizing that more heavily than the other ones are going to get the increased outcomes that you're looking for. So retention first strategies, I think, is a must for marketing, uh, those doing marketing uh, within purposeful organizations. So trend number four, and I know um, one of my colleagues, William, is on this call who writes the in-flight briefing every week and does a lot of our content marketing here at Feather will appreciate this trend being included, is as we go into an environment where there's increased competition for the attention of our communities, that could be the attention of individuals we're trying to acquire 
so net new, but also retention. So if you have current members, there are more things vying for your members' attention than just you. And the thing that's really important is that when we communicate things to our audiences, whether they're current members or current donors or prospective donors or prospective um, members, it's important that we prioritize what we're communicating to them. And so us trying to over-communicate everything we do to try to overemphasize value is not going to work in an attention deficit environment. And so as we think about the messages and how we craft messages or even ad campaigns that we run or the value propositions of why someone should come to your event, one of the stats we see a lot is that people are going to events now, they're going back in person, but they're attending less events and being more selective of the events they do go to, whether it's in their personal lives as a donor or as a professional, choosing which association events to go to or things to attend. And so how we communicate the value someone's going to get and we, the words we choose really matter. In addition to that, clarity matters most. There was a great article in this week's in-flight briefing I don't know if we have the link to that yet, but maybe William, you can grab that as a resource or we can follow it up in that. We always uh, send show notes or flight school notes and we can include some additional details. We can include this in there. There was this great article in this week's in-flight briefing that William puts together uh, for our community. So if you're not on that, definitely check it out where we need to communicate in threes as much as possible because it's an easier way to provide clarity in what we're talking about. Now, I blew that out of the water on this presentation because there's nine trends I'm sharing with you. But either way, the intention there is as we use or as we are communicating messages, being very clear what we're communicating is going to be really, really important. So sticking with the messages you used last year or just um, kind of going with the flow or be like, oh, we're just going to repurpose this and go here. Highly recommend really looking at your offers. Um, I don't remember the name of the individual, but at the beginning of the call, someone said, hey, I'm really rethinking my solicitation strategy. And I would encourage that individual and others on this call is that as you look at your solicitation strategy, look at both the distribution side and the content development side and what the offer is. Like, are we being clear? Is this resonating? Could we make this clearer? Those are the questions us doing marketing should be asking as we go through 2023. It's not just about distribution. It's also about the development of the content and the words we use. Okay, we're rolling through this. Trends number five is video is a must. And there's a lot of different dynamics of video that we're going to talk about. And this has been a growing trend. I think this really surfaced in 2021, especially kind of year one post initial pandemic. We were all more familiar with doing videos like this where we're attending a virtual event. Uh, we were also doing more videos uh, to send out to our teams or send out to our supporters or our members. And so, and then in addition to that, there was a lot of platforms that were propagating this. So if you look at the push of Instagram to that then evolved into TikTok. And now if you even look at what Google's doing with their shorts, short form video became a real thing. And so either way, the point I want to make for 2023 is video should be at the top. If you don't have a video capability or video is not a prioritized medium of content that you are sharing with your audiences and with your communities, highly recommend rethinking that. And if it is part of your strategy, I would recommend uh, five subtypes of video and ways that you can incorporate that. So there's a few strategies within video because when we say video, it doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. And so how we think here at Feather about video, but we would encourage you to do the same, is there's kind of five or four types of video and then one truth, which is the bottom here. And so the first type of video would be personalized video. So this could be one to many, 
one to few or one to one. So it, it would be, it would look like me making a video and sending it out to you all, inviting you to flight school. Lower production, clear message. It's not this evergreen content we're going to run on a Super Bowl ad or anything like that, but it's personalized. I'm inviting you to be a part of something. Maybe it's your program staff inviting people to be a donor. Maybe it's even executive director sending a thank you. It's this personalized video where you're making something to send to a specific targeted community. And it's usually consumed in some sort of uh, private environment. I'm not sharing that video out publicly on YouTube or on Instagram or TikTok, et cetera. Next form of video is short form. And so short form video is what we're seeing with Google Shorts, what you're seeing on TikTok, or if you look at what's on Vimeo Reels, I think a lot of medium and communication, even within email, is becoming a prioritization of short form. So this might be highlights and snapshots of your programs and what's going on in the background that you're going to publish to social media, but you're also going to use as an engagement tool within your email campaigns, or even at events where you say, hey, we're going to have these short form videos show in between uh, different segments at our events. So short form video is a clear classification that has different uh, benefits to it than others, but it is a specific type. So personalized, short form. Uh, the third one I'll put here is long form. In a world where we prioritize as short as possible, or we're you know swiping with the shorts, we might forget the importance of long form. And I think I put this in here is because when I say video is a must, it doesn't just mean personalized in short form, it also means long form. So true deep dive storytelling. I think there's an ad that Charity Water has, it's like 20 minutes long. Uh, there's other organizations I've been talking to that are making mini documentaries. So these are higher production, higher quality, more evergreen content. But they're seeing that that investment, if you capture the attention and you truly tell a compelling story over long-form video, has huge impacts. This has the highest cost to get into. So organizations that maybe don't have video as a strategy might start with personalized video and short-form video. Um, but long-form video is still a must for those doing marketing within Purpose for Organizations. Uh, the fourth category, which I think is underutilized, and it's something I was reminded about this week when I was talking to my friend Natalie over at Memory Fox, she was talking about how the power of crowdsourced videos. So as organizations, we have communities of engaged supporters, and we're trying to collaborate with them to some sort of mission. It could be advocacy for our industry, or it could be saving pets and getting them adopted in your local community. Either way, the, the approach of what we're doing is similar. And so we have people that are engaged, that want to be a part of it. Maybe they're volunteers, maybe they're donors, maybe they're members. And as those doing marketing, we can think about how we can activate that audience to participate in the form of video. We are all becoming more and more comfortable being on video. We most, mostly all have some access or direct connection to a smartphone of sorts where we can film better quality video in a rough format. And I can send it because even sending videos or submitting videos has gotten easier. So if you're thinking about video and you are an organization that has a highly engaged population, thinking about video through the lens of crowdsourcing, like how could we use our beneficiaries? Maybe you provide uh, student loan relief to organizations and you're trying to get other people to realize that your services might be beneficial to them. Maybe asking those beneficiaries of your organization to do a short video, like 20 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. You can pile that out and use that in your marketing. That could be really powerful. Maybe it's your members, like asking 10 of your most engaged members or member organizations 
and say, hey, can you just film a quick video? Doesn't have to be anything crazy, but just talk about why you're part of this organization and the impact it's had on you in the past two or three years as you've navigated post-pandemic and now post-pandemic world. All great ways to use this. Again, four different types of video, all a part of video. So video as a whole is not a single thing. And one of these four or a couple of these four might be more beneficial to you. And so, but video overall is a must for 2023. So if you haven't figured out video, definitely dabble in it. I think personalized video is the easiest one to get into. Um, highly recommended. We use it here at Feather and we see our clients use it successfully as well. Last but not least, this point on video strategy is it has to be story first. So whether you're doing a personalized video or a short form video or a long form video, or even a crowdsource video, start with story. Story matters. What are you trying to communicate? How can you frame that in a story? Trend number six is community-led growth. Now, this one's going to require a little bit of an explanation. There's been this migration that I've been observing and others have been observing where similar to where we moved from a public square. So think about broadcast uh, broadcast TV. We think about like where everyone was checking their mailbox all the time. Think about where everyone was driving to work so you could put a billboard up. Everyone was listening to the same radio stations. It was more of this public square environment. Then we moved to what is called what I call the personalized square. So we moved on to social media. We moved into private, like our more uh, sub-segmented communities. Uh, we even consume media now. Like my Netflix feed is different than your Netflix feed. My Disney Plus feed may be similar to yours if your kids, you know, love Star Wars <laughs> and Lego. Um, but either way, we we moved into these personal feeds and how we consume everything from entertainment to even education to news. And now we're, I'm, we're seeing a migration into what I call the private square, where people are moving away from these platforms as their primary place to connect and communicate and moving into what private squares. Private squares can be a lot of different things. Like this right now would be a private square. Like we are in a session. We are all here together. It's not being broadcast or fed out. Your text message threads, I have many of them with colleagues, with friends, with family. I even have one now that is called Bros, so my brothers and I can connect uh, via text message. But what we share in that is private between the members that are in there. And there's some mechanism of allowing people in or not. But what we're seeing in addition to that is our friends at uh, John and Becky over at We Are For Good. Like They have a, a, um, a vibrant community of nonprofit professionals that get together once a month, then they also keep up to date um, via a private thread. So this is kind of an evolution of where like groups were when groups were a big part of marketing strategies, but we're seeing them, uh, this migration from personalized squares to private squares. And so the question you should be asking as part of your marketing strategy is how are we either participating in these private squares or communities where our members or our constituents or our patrons are and or how could we actually be a facilitator or a platform for something like that to be facilitated? And so is there an opportunity to do this? If you're an association or a member-based organization, you've been doing this forever. And in some ways, you kind of had your private communities and then everyone else was hanging out on LinkedIn and Facebook and you guys had to now reorganize and say, okay, how do we organize here? I think there's going to be a retreat a little bit back to these communities. Now, the point I want to make here is just because you have a community doesn't mean your community is going to participate in it. And so you need to think really well, what's the unique value proposition or the differentiator that your community is going to have compared to maybe other places that people are already convening. And so, but, but thinking about this, I think is really important. I think this will be more of a trend in future years, but I wanted to put it here because I, the organizations that get ahead of this and begin to create 
donor communities. Like, hey, we are all donors that care about child uh, development in impact or impoverished, impoverished communities around the world. How can you facilitate connection and conversation between your supporters? If you're a arts and culture uh, organization, so let's say you're a local theater or a local gallery in your community, like your patrons have similar personalities and similar desires or traits, um, um, sociographics that they're looking for to connect with different things. Like, could you be a facilitator of that? Uh, and this could look like a private Zoom call that you host every week or every month or every quarter. It could be some sort of forum in a more official capacity. Uh, or it could be like a newsletter. Like a newsletter is a private community because if you are inviting people to be in, like that conversation that's happening, you know, we're doing this here with the in-flight briefing that we release every week here at Feather for purposeful marketers. That is a private community. That is a private square because you have to be on the list to be able to get that and be a part of that. There's a lot of different manifestations of this, but I think community-led growth or how do we become a platform for connection between our community members is something I highly encourage you think about within your 2023 strategy. Trend number seven, we're coming down the last three trends. Uh, trend number seven is that automation and AI will now become more practical and impactful to you and your organizations. So there's a couple things here. I'll first address the AI components. So AI for a lot of uh, a long time was seen as this like arbitrary thing that was kind of outside and we're not sure how it's going to impact our work. There's a couple practical use cases now that AI is becoming a huge beneficiary to organizations, whether you're an association or a traditional charity or an arts and culture organization, is that AI can be used to actually help with data analysis. So for example, within Feather, like we use AI to better understand like what audiences are doing different things and we can then extract like what ROI is or what the, the impact is. There are other uh, platforms out there that are using AI, AI within your donor base, your member base to identify who should we be targeting at what time. Even simple things like Google Sheets from now on is using AI to basically say, hey, we're looking at this giant spreadsheet of data. Would you like us to run an analysis on assumed trends in the data that you might not even be asking for, but you can run a Google Slides trends report and it'll give you some insights. And so this idea of like using artificial intelligence to analyze data is going to be really practical. The other two use cases which have become more mainstream over the last few weeks is around creative using AI from a content standpoint to actually supplement your capacity and give you raw materials to play with is where the biggest impact is going to happen there. Uh, last but not least, we talk about automation. So automation and AI sometimes get mixed up, and that's why I include not mixed up, but uh, intertwined. Um, the thing about AI is it's like giving you insights. It's like coming up with new things or creating new things. Automation is really just a fancy word for like, we want this to happen when this happens and we want this to run in the background. So it requires me to only design an input once. And every time a new donor comes in, we want to enroll them in an email series, for example. Um, another use case we see a lot of our clients use here at Feather, because Feather enables you to do this, is when someone is sent an email and they do not open the email, we want to use that segment to now advertise to the unopens so that we are increasing touch points through a different channel to those that didn't open our emails. The opposite is true, which is like, hey, we want people, people that open our emails and come to our website. We now want to advertise to them automatically through this segment in this audience because they opened this email and went to the specific website page. So that's a use case where automation is really helping you improve marketing and becoming much more responsive in your work because you're not having to decide that once a quarter, you're setting up this 
activity and you're saying, hey, anytime this happens or these things happen, we want this to happen. And that's where we see a lot of power um, happening. Uh, the other use case within Feather that a lot of our clients use is what's called smart send emails. And so we can basically say, hey, we want to send this email. Maybe it's an, uh, an event invite or a donation appeal. We want to send this this week, but we are not designating, we're not telling you when to send. So it's not like we are going to send this at 9.35 a.m. Eastern time, but rather we would like this sent by Friday at 3 p.m. But if you see any of these activities from those that are on the email list, we want you to send the email to them immediately. And so it's this responsive email, what we call smart, uh, smart settings, where you're basically using automation to send the email at the most ideal time individually by each person on that list and the activities they might take, or send it at 3 p.m. on Friday, for example. And so this is another way where automation and AI are beginning to infuse into marketing tactics that we may have otherwise took for granted. Like, hey, we picked an optimized send time and we send it at that time. Well, you don't really need that email to be in the inbox of everyone on your email list at the exact same time. You want it to be in the ideal time to optimize for some sort of outcome like click-through or action. And that's where automation and uh, AI can really help you there. The other thing that uh, our Feather clients uh, utilize uh, Feather for is to run what we call flights. And so flights are basically a collection of activities that happen based on a triggered event. And so it could be that, hey, someone comes to your website, we want to send them an email. If, they, if they're not a donor or not a member, you can do that. That's simple. Or it could be, hey, we want to send an email and then we want to send another email and then we want to run ads against them. If they come back to the website, we now want to do something different because they've returned. And so now we have another flight or another set of activities that we run because we now know something different to them. So again, this is where automation and AI can really enable you on trend number one to move from personalization to responsiveness. Trend number eight of our countdown is prioritization of mental health and DE&I boost culture and drive growth. We can speak to this personally here at Feather um, because it's a big deal that we focus on. You know, we have the opportunity to have a four-day work week here at Feather. Uh, we also have a DE&I community. We're hiring a DE&I director, and we really prioritize this idea of owning and having agency as an individual, as an employee, to take care of yourself as much as you need to. So we have unlimited mental health days and unlimited sick days. And then we have mandatory vacations, which I think is a really interesting approach there. And I, I don't say this trend just to showcase you know, how Feather has invested in these areas, but we see organizations, we see organizations that are prioritizing the mental health and DE&I, the diversity, equity, inclusion, inclusiveness of their cultures and how they manage their teams as a fuel for their outcomes and their mission and their impact. If you don't have a healthy team or a healthy culture, very difficult for you to make a healthy impact in the communities. And so continuing to prioritize this, and I know this doesn't spreadsheet or fit into the marketing strategy you have to present to the board or some boss, but having a section in there that says, hey, we're going to take care of our team. We are going to prioritize this. We are going to invest in activities that enable us to have more flexibility. And that's a priority for our team. It's on the goal sheets, on the OKRs or the M spot or the V2 moms or whatever framework, rocks framework you use to prioritize. It's going to be important because it's going to contribute to the growth. Hey friends, Emily here from Feather. Feather's nonprofit marketing platform turns your if only wish list into reality. Feather Flights, our marketing automation tool, helps you design multi-channel campaigns and automated engagement journeys. 
Feather is trusted by over 1,300 nonprofits, and we help you unlock more time, more results, and ultimately, more confidence with real-time ROI reporting at the campaign level so you know what works, removing the guesswork from your 2023 plan. Book time with one of our digital strategists today and learn how you can unlock more in 2023 with Feather by visiting feather.co. That's feather without the last E dot C-O. And we'll kind of end on this. And we have a few other tidy ups and reminders for you as you head into 2023 is nonprofits continue to invest in more in digital advertising to reach their audiences. There's a report called the M&R Benchmarks Report. This is specifically for more of your traditional charities, but they look at the marketing activities of those organizations and uh, everything from social to email to paid ads and they analyze where uh, people are investing more and where people are investing less. And the continued trend in last the last report they did is that there's an increase in spend to reach people in digital communities, both organically. So think about your email list or your social um, connections or your website, but also in paid engagements. And so this migration of resources you may previously invested in offline connection points like billboards or events and now connecting more in a digital environment. And you can see here, people are using digital advertising in a variety of ways, everything from brand awareness and education to direct fundraising to lead generation. And this applies for membership-based organizations too. And we're seeing similar trends. So as you think about your strategy, really considering like how much budget are we allocating for digital media or digital connection points, both organic and paid are gonna be really important. Uh, there's a few uh, digital advertising campaigns we see work really well, and we're biased here. We help organizations run their digital campaigns. And so here at Feather, we have an opinion on this. But these are three things that I think are practical within this, is that if you are investing more in this, these are uh, to consider. Or if you're investing for the first time in digital advertising, or you're trying to reframe how you invest in digital advertising, these are good starting points. So this would be like nine, one through three, like so 9.1, 9.2, 9.3, if you're taking notes. First is that you wanna do retargeting ads based on prior context and intent. So the simplest version of this is, let's say you're the Sea Turtle Conservancy, someone visits your donation page and they leave, which happens a lot. People don't finish things, they get distracted, they get busy, but they showed intent to donate. If someone came to your donation page, they don't really end up there very often by accident. Maybe a few, but people came here to donate and maybe they had to leave, maybe they, got confused by the forms or they didn't have their credit card available or they were actually just like at a stoplight and they put their phone down so they're not texting and driving. The opportunity comes in is in using retargeting ads to help them finish what they started. So that might be coming back to make a donation in this case. It could also be coming back to finish an application or coming back to sign up or coming back to finish the course sign up that uh, helps them get continued education credits or inviting them back into the membership uh, portal where they can engage with content you provide as an association because they haven't in 30 days. If you have web traffic that's above a thousand people a month coming to your website or engaging with your digital properties, whether it's a membership portal or something like that, again, retargeting is a great opportunity. It doesn't have to be a thousand, but that's a good benchmark to say, okay, if, if we have enough web traffic or enough engagement on our website, we should be investing in retargeting ads. Um, the second is using your CRM data or your donor management data or your association management system to actually retarget members. So instead of waiting till someone visits your website to run retargeting, you can actually use your email list using something called email mapping 
to be able to connect those and then still advertise to individuals as they are out and about on the internet. So a great example here would be recent and previous donors, former volunteers, previous event attendees, or even a list of unsubscribers or people that have disengaged. Here's a great example where IJM used retargeting of their database to be able to run ads on the Food Network um, and be able to advertise to people as they're going throughout their day and doing other things and invite them back uh, to give again. Another one here is the Association of Texas Professional Educators. And so as people visited their website and engaged with them, their membership base, uh, they wanted to invite them back to take or to rejoin or to re-sign up for the member program. Last but not least is geofencing ads. So geofencing ads are a little confusing. Uh, I'll admit, uh, it's one of those things I'm like, wait, what? How does this work? So it's basically saying, hey, we want to target people that are in this area. So if we know that people in Gainesville or people in Phoenix or people in San Diego are likely to support our cause, or maybe there's an event going on, like the Super Bowl is about to happen here in Phoenix in a few weeks. Maybe you're like, hey, people that go to the Super Bowl might care about our cause. And so we're going to geofence that location for a specific time period. And anyone who goes into that location or is at that location, we are going to advertise to. And so this is a great opportunity, especially if you're a local or regional organization or you have specific interest groups that have gathering places that are outside of your control or even your own event. You can geofence your own event to re-engage them in other membership benefits. There's a lot of opportunities here. Um, and again, this is more ways to invest your digital advertising dollars uh, as well. So trend number 10, we're wrapping up. Uh, we're coming to the end of our time together here on Flight School is here at Feather, we believe marketing is good. So this is a bonus trend, uh, but I think this is more of like a reminder that we wanted to share with you. And what we mean by marketing is good is that as you're going about your nonprofit marketing framework, you're identifying people in your audience, you're cultivating them and you're activating them to be a member or to give a donation or to buy a ticket to attend an event or even volunteer, as part of all of those activities, you're generating good. It's not just mission is an outcome of marketing, like the marketing you're doing, like communicating with people about the work that you're doing or about ways that they can take what they believe in and execute on that is good and is part of the mission, is part of the advocacy, is part of you generating community and is part of connection. It's not a means to good, it is good. And I think that's why we here at Feather believe so much that as purposeful organizations, the more we invest in doing more purposeful marketing, uh, the more good we can ultimately make, whatever that good is in your context. So as you go from here, a lot of content, a lot of information, and I'm sure I'm not the only person sharing trends and predictions for 2023 that you've looked into. Three quick reminders. One is you design your plan, always do it in pencil and keep a big pink eraser close by. So make a plan, but do it in pencil and really focus on learning and being responsive versus predictive. Um, I think when we start getting into, we want to predict results or we want to predict outcomes and we're going to commit through a prediction that that is, we get uh, blind, like our aperture is really small and then we miss an opportunity to evolve. And so design a plan, do it in pencil, bring a racer. Uh, the ideal benchmark is always your own results. So I've talked about a lot of different things today and you might say, hey, we did video and it didn't really work for us. Our audience didn't really resonate with that. That's great. You've learning from your audience. So the ideal benchmark is always your own results. And last but not least, use 2023 as a year that you can take chances, make mistakes and get messy. A mantra or axiom I've been following um, since I was little, thanks to Mrs. Frizzle. And we're excited to be a partner with you in this. So if there's opportunities for us here at Feather to be able to support you, you know, we have a nonprofit marketing platform 
that helps you build these purposeful connections and really give you the confidence as you go forward. And we really want to help you do more, uh, whether that's more results or more time or more good.